So far today, God, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or overindulgent, haven't been perverted, and I'm really glad about all that. But God, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of this bed and have to go to work, so I'm going to need all the help I can get. (laughs) That sounds like your early morning prayer time. We are in a series that we've titled, How They Prayed. Uh, We started this series um, last week. It's just a little small two-part series. We started the series last week. How did Jesus pray? I thought, you know what, if we're going to be people of prayer, we probably ought to see how the King of Glory prayed. And we looked into it, and first and foremost, we recognized that Jesus prayed. And, and we answered the question, why did Jesus need to pray if he's God? And we gave you three concepts on that, three, three logical, uh, theological pieces that you could chew on. Uh, number one, Jesus, though he was completely divine, he also had his human side, his human nature, and, and it had need. It had need to pray and, 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 and ask the Father for help. Um, also, we see that Jesus never asked us to do anything that he himself didn't model. So he prayed to model that to his followers, you and I. And then the third reason we gave you that Jesus would have needed to pray is because Jesus, part of the Trinity or the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, he needed his communion, his interaction with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He needed that. It was what made him who he was, part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. And then we connected that to if Jesus needed that communion, then we needed that as well. And if Jesus needed that strengthening, we needed as well. And that prayer we identified is not throwing up petitions to God and hoping, you know, or making a little request that we leave on his desk or shooting an email that we hope he responds to. But prayer is actually defined as communion with God, interaction. And we kind of illustrated that with our little illustration of the Godhead picture that we, that we emulated and we sat here and we interacted almost like on a couch, almost like a Starbucks kind of living room feel. And that's really what prayer should be. It should be you and I interacting with God. And just in a love relationship, not as a fearful relationship, not as in I hope he hears me, not as in some distant being so far removed to my, from my daily interaction of life, I'm going to throw some things up there and hope he responds. Just the opposite, that we are his sons and his daughters, and we can come boldly into the presence of the Lord, and we are joint heirs with Christ. Come on, are you there? Say yes. And as a result, we can commune with God and pray not only to the Father, but to the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we checked that out. And then we kind of identified some key elements we find Jesus praying. And we said, listen, if Jesus prayed in these moments, we should. If Jesus prayed before he did a business deal, why in the world are you hiring people that you hadn't even prayed over first? We find before he even picked the 12, he, he cried out all night long, Father, help me see. Who should I pick? Who should I not pick to be a part of the 12? And we see that before Jesus, uh, you know, ha- as he had success and God blessed his ministry, as, as the people started recognizing him as king uh, of glory and wanting to make him king by force, he withdrew and sought the Lord. In success, we should be quick to interact with God and pray and keep humility flowing forward. Right, in great rejection, when they all wanted to kill him and get rid of him, Jesus went all to the side and he prayed. We all need to become people of prayer. And if you've grown up around the church like I have, I've heard more teachings on prayer than anything else I can imagine. And everything from I should be praying at least one hour a day or I'm not a real Christian. Come on, somebody. I should pray the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And somehow by saying those words magically, something supernatural happened. But our plan with this teaching was to dive into what did Jesus pray? And then today, what did the New Testament leaders pray? Why did they pray? What did they pray? And probably 
is our concept that if it's in Holy Scripture as how they prayed and what they prayed about, then maybe we could emulate that and see some of the same great results that they did. That maybe there's more of a playing field with out-of-bounds and hash markers and goal lines in prayer than there is this kind of ethereal, just throw it up there and hope it sticks. So with that being said, we're going to dive in today with our key scripture. is found in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. And this is what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. When you use the word devoted, that means that you're constant with it. You're considerate of it, that you are completely engaged. Devote yourselves to prayer. I'll be honest, I've not always been a person who's been devoted to prayer. In fact, I even struggle in this hour to be a person devoted to prayer. And I think it's because I'm a doer. And I always used to get ticked off about all these prayer people, you know. Brother, we just need to pray. We just need to pray. I'm like, no, you need to get your lazy butt off the couch, stop praying, and let's go do something for Jesus. That's kind of always, come on, some of you testify, you feel my, yeah. And so, and so as a result, I don't think I, I've always been very devoted to prayer. I've been more devoted to winning souls and making disciples and, and probably have kind of skipped over a strength that I should have as being obedient to this passage where we devote ourselves to prayer. So with that being said, I want to pray over us, and then we'll jump in deeper to the word. Father, I ask you now to help us. Lord, we just need you. Lord God, none of us uh, pretend to be perfect. None of us have it all figured out. We just want to grow in you, and we want to be obedient to to what you have for our lives. And Lord God, we want to make you the centerpiece of who we are. And Lord, we don't even know how to do that sometimes. And so Lord, I pray that in these teachings on prayer that we would grow, we would mature, and that Lord God, we would become what you want us to be. And we call these things as so in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Turn with, quick, quickly with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12, I feel like we see here that Paul kind of lays out the goal of prayer. Now, if you're like me, I need to know the goal. I need to know where are we going. What's the object of the game? I, I, I don't need to know the rules because I'm going to break them anyway. I just want to know how we win. Are you with me? Say amen. I just want to know how we win. And in, in this passage, we see Paul literally lays out three goals. And let's read the whole thing from chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. It says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you a breakdown of the three kind of goals that we see that Paul is laying out for us. If we're going to have a vibrant prayer life and the why, why do we do that? Why do we pray? Or you just, I, I used to feel real uncomfortable about praying because I felt like I was begging. You know what I'm saying? I felt like I was being the spoiled kid who, and, and, and I think I got this from my grandmother. My grandmother had that, you know, that, that, that martyr syndrome, you know, where, you know, well, woe is me, but it's okay. I'll sacrifice while all the other family members that goes on about their life. I'll take care of our aging mother. And I think that might be a little bit that was kind of put, you know, I kind of saw that, you know, modeled and it may be a little bit. And I just always like, God, you, God, you don't have to help me. I got this under control. I'll overcome Lord. I'm not weak like everybody else. And I think some of that probably was in me. And so when my prayer times probably was just the why they were a little off. I didn't have the why always. And the, this passage gives us the why to have a vibrant prayer life. And Paul lays it out. And the first piece that he teaches us is let us or let us live up 
to his calling. So his first piece that he's teaching us that when we're praying, our prayer is, Lord, let me live up to the calling that's on my life. Let me live up to what it is to be a Christian. So when we go into prayer, the goal is not to get a bunch of new cars or we need this or we need that. The opening of the goal is this. God, I come before you because I just want to be a good Christian. I don't even know how to live up to the calling that you've saved me and you, trans- you, you transitioned my life from death to life. And I don't even know how to live like that. I don't know how to. I, don't know how to, I want to live up to what it is to be a Christian. I meet so many people who call themselves Christians and you and I are looking at them like, that ain't a Christian. And if that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. And so I think our starting point as the why behind it, I'm praying, God, because I don't know how to be a good Christian. I'm not living up to who I'm supposed to be. And so, God, I need your help. That's the why behind it. Before we get into checkoff list and all, why am I doing this? Because, God, I know that I'm not living up to your expectation of what a believer is. I want to be a good, solid follower of Jesus. Here's the second thing that he lays out, and that is power for our purpose. And he says it like this in verse 11, that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Now, I'm about to blow your mind when it comes to a piece of theology that you're probably a little off in. That he, excuse me, that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Do you know what he's saying? That as believers, since we love Jesus, there are these moments that we have these ideas. We have these acts prompted by our faith. It's not that we waited on God to tell us what to do. We, because we're followers, because we're sons and daughters, we have just naturally coming out of us godly ideas, good things that need to be done. And so the reason why I think I want to bring that out to you is because some of you are waiting for God to tell you what to do when God's saying, look, it's already in you. Whatever you have inside of you, whatever you feel that's, that you could do for me, whatever you feel like is right, I want to empower it. And that's what he's saying. God, give me power. Give us power. Give us power to do the purposes that you put in my heart, to accomplish that which you put in front of me. God, I feel like I'm supposed to do this for you, and I really want to do this. But, man, I don't have the power to do it. I don't even know how to do it. I don't even know how to go about doing that, so I need you in this situation. Friend, if you took your prayer time from that perspective opposed to, God, I want this. And you better give me this. And if you don't do that, then you're not even real. I don't even know if you're real because you didn't do what I wanted done. Instead, God, I don't know if my grandmother's going to live or die, but give me power to accomplish what you told me to do in my life, what I feel I'm supposed to do. Give me the authority and the power to walk in to go talk to that doctor and say, are you putting the right medication in there? Because my grandmother doesn't look right, and I think you're doing something. Give me the power to do what I got inside of me that's coming from the nature of God living and abiding in me. And I just, I think if we shifted the way we pray from a checkoff list of what we want to actual the why that Paul lays out for us here, I think something supernatural will start happening to us. And the third thing that he lays out in verse 12, and he says, and we pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. And we line up this third piece of why, that Jesus may be glorified. Do you know why you and I need a vibrant prayer life? So that Jesus may be glorified. So that Jesus may be in me and I in him. And then when people see me, they see him. And they look into my eyes and say, I'm going through something right now. And we look back into their eyes and they go, whoo, I see Jesus in there. He said, you better believe it. Why? Because I'm in him and he's in me. Friend, I don't pray just because it's boring. I'm trying to glorify Christ. I'm trying to become like him and somehow obtain to his likeness, Paul said. I want to know who he is. And we pray this not so that we might be glorified, but that Jesus may be glorified. And that Jesus would be the center of everything in our life. I pray this way. Why? Because he ain't the center of my life most of the time. It's a lot about Adam McCain and what Adam wants. 
And so if you could get the why behind this, then I think it'll adjust your prayer life and you won't have some of these, man, it's just like a duty. I got, yeah, I'm supposed to pray to be a good Christian. I don't really, okay, it's on my to-do list today. I'm going to pray. Oh God, here I am. No, no, no. The goals, the goal is not so that you do good duties and you have a checkoff list. The goal is that you start becoming like Jesus. The goal to pray is that the ideas and the creativity that God's been giving you, that you, as you begin to pray, you cry out so that power will come to those things and they will accomplish what they were supposed to accomplish so that you and I can live up to what the title Christian really means. That's why we pray. That's why we have a vibrant prayer life. And if you don't understand the goal line, if you don't know where the goal line is, you'll just kind of walk around and ethereal like, I'm praying, but I don't know why I'm supposed to. The pastor Pastor said, the Bible says I'm supposed to, but I don't really know the goal. In 1952, this magnificent thing happened. A woman by the name of Florence Chadwick, we've got pictures of her on the screen. She was, in her day, the greatest open water swimmer of her time. In fact, she had swam the English Channel, the only woman ever to do it both there and back, supernatural. And in 1952, she decided to break a record and, uh, as a female and swim from Catalina Island right off the coast of, of, of uh, California and swim that 26 miles. She knew she could do it. She'd already beaten that, that, that kind of distance before. No big deal. She goes to set out that morning, and as she did, the weather shifted. It kind of came cold and rainy. And then halfway into it, the fog rolled in to where they couldn't see. Obviously, she had multiple boats there beside her to protect her. Keep her safe. And as about 15 miles into this 26-mile run, she pulled up and she told her coach, she said, I can't do it. Get me out. He goes, you can do it. You're almost there. So she kept swimming. Miles and miles again, she pulled up. She said, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I, can't, I, I, don't, I don't know where we're at. The fog's here. I can't see the, I can't see the shoreline. It's going to be forever. He says, we're almost there. Keep doing it. And she did that over and over again until finally in the boat next to that boat was her mom. She pulled up. She said, Mom, I can't do it. Get me out of the water. And they pulled her out of the water. And she sat in that boat for the next 15 minutes. As it drove, excuse me, it puttered the last mile. She pulled up just a mile away from her finish line. Two days later, she did a giant press release conference, excuse me, and she had all the media there. And she said this, I don't want to complain and I don't want to make excuses. But I'm convinced that I didn't make that swim. Not because it was too hard for me, but because I couldn't see the finish line. I couldn't see the goal. And since I couldn't see the goal, I got discouraged. And I quit on myself. But I promise you, I'm going to come back and do it. And two months later, on a bright, sunny day, come on, with low winds. Are you there with me? She got in that water, and she didn't just swim the 26 miles. She broke a swim time record in open water for women. She broke it. Why? Because she could see the goal line. I think sometimes in prayer, it's this ethereal thing. And back in the day, we prayed for our brother not to go to jail, but he went to jail. So I don't know if God's really there or if God really, or something's messed up in the way I pray, friend. Can I tell you something? If you have the goal straight, I guarantee you, you can get to the shoreline. If you get the why behind it straight, I think the rest of it just works itself out. And the why, number one, is that you and I pray because Jesus, I don't know how to be a Christian. I need you to help me every morning. God, how is it that I walk like you and act like you? And then, God, listen, I know you put things in my heart, and I got some things that I want to do. I think they're godly, but I need power to accomplish them. I can't do it when that car's broken down. I can't accomplish it when I got this busted up relationship. So, God, I need miracles right now. Then you start praying. Why? Because you can see a gold line. You see 
see the shoreline. You know what you're praying for. You know what you're praying towards. And it's not about you. It's about him. And then Jesus, how do I lift you up in everything I do? How do you and I become one? God, I'm asking you every morning, make you and I one. I don't even know how to do it. Today, reveal that to me. See, when you know the goals of prayer, then you can make it to the shoreline. But when it's just some ethereal, foggy thing, and you're just trying to not die, and you're just trying not to drown, Frank, can I tell you something? That's a miserable life. And I think much of my Christian walk was like that. I didn't really know what we were doing. The pastor would lay out some things to pray about, and so I'd pray, uh, you know, like the little, you know, the little monkey with the little thing, ding, 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 and I would do my little prayer thing. And I don't know if it had any power until I started realizing these truths, that there are goals in this. As I look through the New Testament church, I find that they had some focus pieces. So we see here in this piece, you know, what the goals are. But as we move into this next phase of this teaching, I want you to understand the what. What did the New Testament church pray for? Not so long ago, we were in a meeting. It was a group of us, and we were really intense trying to solve this particular problem. It was a subject matter we were working on, working on, working on. And somebody walked into our meeting and interrupted it. And what they were concerned about in their mind was bigger than anything we were working on. So they began to interrupt what we were dealing with and literally almost pull us in a wrong direction. And we were gracious enough to let them talk for a second. Then we cut them off and said, listen, that's great, but we're not dealing with that right now. We're dealing with this right now. And I think that what happens a lot of time in our prayer lives is we bounce all over to the ethereal things that don't really matter. And we need to get it back down to what matters to God. And to figure that out, I think we see in Scripture uh, four or five key things that the New Testament believers, and you've got to understand, they're, they're having persecution. I mean, they're killing them. They're putting them in the, in, you know, in the Colosseum, and they're ripping their stomachs open and putting cornmeal in it, tying them to the ground and, and releasing the pigs and, and the boars to come rip them to death. And, and they got all these horrible problems, but we don't see nearly as much prayer about, oh, God, pre, please kill Nero. He's, he's the Satan incarnate, God. Remove. We don't see that. We see, if you will, four or five. I can get the what that seem to be the center point of what they were praying for. And I believe that if you and I can get the what and the why down, friend, I'll tell you, we'll have the same miracles that they had in the New Testament. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of perversion, in the midst of all this difficulty, which we see coming upon us even now, the end days are happening even now. What should we be praying about? Let's look and see what they did. First and foremost, we find them praying for godly living. They start praying for God. And and I'll give you a couple of references. I'll blow through them real quick. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray, that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. You know what they were praying for? Lord, don't let us be in sin. God, we want to be blameless. God, I'm telling you right now, help us not to get back into sin and temptation. Lord, make us, we want to live godly lives. Uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 10, and we have not ceased to pray for you or to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They weren't praying, 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 oh God, would you just justify my sinfulness? No, no, no. They were saying, oh God, we want to be pure. What's not pure? What's not pure in my life? They weren't making excuses and calling it grace. They weren't living outside of the teachings of Christ and the word of God and then just saying, it's just grace, it's just grace, it's just grace. They were crying out, God, how do we live holy lives? 
What does holy look like? We don't know. We're a bunch of pagans. We don't know what it looks like. Especially, especially, you know, you're talking about the Gentile Christians. They didn't grow up Jewish. They don't know the law and all these expectations. Like, what does it mean? And then all the Jewish Christians who've been in dead religion, they're, they're praying, oh, God, we don't know what really holiness is anymore. How do we live holy life? And they're crying out to God. And guess what God's doing? He's revealing truth to them. He's helping them. He's strengthening them. And instead of hating and killing back those who are killing Christians, they begin to stand in love. They begin to love the, the violent attackers of Christianity. And as a result, many of them start getting saved. They start getting transpired. Why? Because they stood in the rightness of God. They lived holy lives and they cried out for it. I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't want to sit around praying for excuses and asking God to forgive. I want him to help me be holy. I don't want to live in, 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 in some excuse-driven type Christian walk. I want to do what they did. They prayed, Lord, help us be holy. What does a godly life look like? And I'll tell you, there's so much of that has run amiss in this hour. We keep praying about God, please allow me to continue to do the sin that I do and still love me. Opposed to, oh God, what is right living for you and help me live that way. This is what they were crying out here. Here's the second thing that we find in the New Testament church. And I'm lumping all these passages and trying to give you some oversight. The second thing we see them constantly praying for was for ministry opportunity and success. For ministry opportunity. They weren't worried about themselves. Lord, let us minister to the lost and the hurting. Help us, O oh God. Look at Paul talking, asking the church to pray for him in Romans 15, 30. He says, now I urge you, brethren, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. He's saying, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, which I need y'all to pray, man. Pray that I can minister well, that I can help people. This is the cry that you need to pray for me for. And so verse, uh, chapter uh, 6 of Ephesians and verse 19, And pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And then Colossians 1.10, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit and every good work. Friend, can I tell you something? You and I should wake up every morning and say, Jesus, I don't even like where I work, but you've sent me there to minister to them. And so, Lord, give me a word for them. Give me an understanding for them. Help me minister love and truth for them. I had a lady walk up to me. Uh, even last night, I was ministering somewhere else, and she said, you know what? I have this, I, I, I cut hair. And she says, and I'm in this, you know, I'm in this group, you know, and I'm cutting hair, and they're all wicked. They're all, uh, you know, they're all living alternative lifestyles. They hate me for being a Christian. And I was preaching on something similar uh, last night, and she said, but when you spoke today, I realized I have been sent by God to be here. And I'm telling you, it shifted me. She said, as I was sitting there, it shifted me. I'm going to work tomorrow, and I'm going to look for a place to prophesy to somebody. I'm going to pray over somebody. I'm going to show them a scripture. What I've been through, God's going to use me to unlock their minds. Remember that teaching? The keys of the, hell, uh, of the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and he's given us the keys. And she said, I'm going to do it. And friend, can I tell you, she got a revelation in her prayer time. It's going to shift, and it's going to turn to, God, help me minister to those around me. Help me minister to my family. May my Facebook posts and my Instagram posts look more like ministering to hurting. Make me successful in loving a nation that is wayward from you, more than making myself popular so I get more people to follow me. Are you there? Say yes. Here's the third thing we see them praying over and the, what they're praying over, and that is number, four, uh, number three, for increase in knowledge. Increase in knowledge. I'm going to give you a couple subcategories that they were praying for increase in knowledge, but I'm going to move kind of fast. Jot them down if you will. First, first area we see in Ephesians 1.17, increase of knowledge of the Lord. Like, of the Lord, Lord, I know you. And look what Ephesians 1.17 says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. My Lord, 
See, if I knew Jesus better, I surely wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, you know, messing around on him. If I was closer to him and I knew how to understand who he is and what he wants and what he expects, I, I guarantee you, you and I would grow supernaturally. We'd have leaps and bounds. When we speak, literally, cancer tumors will just fall off people. Why? Because we get so close and we know him so well. And so I recognize still in my life, I'm not there. I don't, know, I don't have a full knowledge of who he is, what he is, how he wants to work in my life. I don't really have that yet. Uh, here's the other area of increase of knowledge of his will. An increase of knowledge of his will. Look at Philippians 1.9. And this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best, what God has for you. Now, man, I'm not supposed to marry you. I like you a whole lot. But, I, man, I've been in prayer, and I, I have a great revelation of, of God's will in this matter, and I'm not for you, and you're not for me. Now, not, if you're already married, too late, all right? So you just keep on trucking. <laughs> Some of you, somebody just got hope and went, oh, <laughs> too late. You made the covenant, man. God's going to heal them and you, and it's going to be beautiful. Here's the next little area about increase in knowledge. We see increase of knowledge of the riches we have. Oh, man, I am sorry that some of you grew up in a church that wanted you impoverished. That, that, that poverty is like Jesus. That, that's not true at all. You, you do realize that when the wise men, come on, I'll talk to you this at Christmas. When the wise men showed up with those gifts, they weren't three little gifts. There were three types of gifts. They won the lottery, man, at that moment. I mean, all, who goes around needing to, uh, go, uh, what kind of ministry goes around that's poor and, and, and has a, a treasurer? I mean, you don't have to have a treasurer if you ain't got no money. Jesus was not poor. Jesus was simple in the way he spent it. And what he dealt with it. But God has a rich inheritance, not only in the life to come. We get to live with him forever. Walk the streets of gold. Come on, somebody. That's as prosperous as you can get. But we also have, he has no intentions for his sons and daughters to be sick and poor in this life. That's not his heart. That's not, do you want your kids sick and, and poor? He said, man, I want my, I'm going to teach them something. Yeah, baby. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to make them live down in the hood getting shot at every night. That's my plan. <laughs> You're not a good father. And the Bible says he's a good, good father. That's who he is. Come on, somebody. That's who he is. Oh, I understand people have misappropriated the prosperity teaching to mean that you get all the Mercedes you can get in big airplanes and you live some isolated away from all the people's pain and suffering when you could help them. No, friend, if God gives you millions of dollars, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to have a nice little car that you can get back and forth from work with, but you're going to take that money. You're going to help, help me end sex trafficking around the world and pull those little girls out of that thing. That's what we're going to do with Sorry, you done made me preach off to the side. That's not even where we were supposed to be. Ephesians 1, 8, and I pray that the, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's got more riches than you can think about, and I'm not just talking about monetary things. I'm talking about, hey, when you and your wife love each other deeply, that's rich, friend. Let me tell you something. When your kids rise up and call you blessed, that's rich. Let me tell you that. No matter where you live, when you got peace in your heart and you can go to work and say, oh, y'all being so crazy, it ain't affecting me none why because i got peace in my heart that's rich friend that's what these passages are talking about and the last and final thing that we see them what were they praying about in the new testament church number four they were praying for power they were praying for power i'm sorry that some of you grew up in powerless teachings but that should not be the case he's called us to heal the sick sick and raise the dead book of mark said this it says that uh, these signs will follow those who believe if you're a believer say me all right, these signs are supposed to follow you. In his name, you'll cast out devils. You'll heal the sick. If you accidentally drink something poison, it won't even kill you. Everybody else is dying. You're like, what? Look at that. <laughs> 
I'd, I'd, I apply that scripture to all the calories is what I'd be applying it to all the stuff. For power, look at Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Colossians 1, 10 and 11. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind. They were praying for power. Lord, you got to give me power in this situation. I can't deal with this. I'm going to kill this kid. You're going to have to give me power to have grace and mercy. God, you got to give me power to overcome this. I can't do it in my own strength. You told me to start a business. It's failing miserably. I don't know what to do because I don't have your, I need your power in this situation. Friend, you and I should be asking for power every day. I thank God, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than you all. I'm so grateful to have experienced the power of God in a beautiful prayer language. Friend, can I tell you something? Don't run away from the power. Run to the power. You need the Jesus said it like this and ye shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you listen friend if you don't have any power in your life and you're just trying to make this Christian and just trying to make it through I'm climbing up the rough side of the mountain I'm doing my best to make it what you should be overcoming there, the, you shouldn't be under the thing. You should be on top of the thing. Come on now. That was his intent. And he said, I'm going to give you power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and give you power to overcome. You'll be a witness. That way you'll be testifying about me. Nothing's going to harm you. Why? Because you have my power flowing through you. This young journalist got assigned to the Jerusalem Bureau of the Newspaper. So he gets an apartment overlooking the Wailing Wall. And after seven, several weeks, he keeps watching. And he notices there's this same little man, Jewish man, praying there every day for hours on time. And he thinks, I wonder if there's a story here. So the next day, he runs down there. And he meets the older gentleman. And he asks him, he says, you, you pray here every day, don't you? He goes, yes, I do. He says, well, what do you pray about? And he says, well, he says, in the morning, he said, I pray for world peace. I also pray that the brotherhood of men... Then I go home and have a glass of tea and then I come back in the afternoon and I pray for the eradication of illness and sickness on the earth. He goes, wow, that's, wow, that's amazing. The journalist asked him, so how long have you been doing this? And the older man thought for a moment. He said, well, about 25 years. He said, "Woo, 25 years. How does it feel to come and pray every day for over 25 years right here about all these things right here? And, and, and the old man thinks for a moment. He replies, he says, well, it feels like I'm talking to a wall, to be honest with you. I know that sounds sacrilegious, right? But at the same time, that's how some of you feel like prayer is. Like you're talking to a wall. And it's like, man, I asked God for this, but nothing happened. What if, what if just by chance, first and foremost, you had the wrong goals? What if just by chance, what you were praying didn't line up, if you will, to what was valuable to heaven? We're sitting in this meeting, and this person, what, what they wanted and needed was, was, it was important, but it wasn't as important as this. If they had come in and joined in with us, and they would have seen what we were working on and striving with, they would have went, oh, okay, yeah, well, let's do that. And, and by the way, guys, if y'all could help me, I've got this little thing. While we're doing this big thing, could you help me with this little thing? Oh, that thing's going to take care of itself because we're all doing this right here. Oh, okay, great. But I think what happens is we run into communion with God. God! <laughs> And he's like, hey, that's great, but you still aren't godly, dude. That's what you should be praying for. I, I think what you really need to be praying for is power, man. I've already, I've already invested that. You, what are you asking me for? I've already given it to you. Go and receive it. What's the problem? 
You're worried about that, and we're going to fix all that. But why don't you get into the what that, that we're into, that God's into, that, what we're already working towards. Friend, I tell you something right now. If you'll get the why right, you'll get the what right, you will have a vibrant prayer life. You won't, it won't be this ethereal thing that you're just hitting your head against a wall and like I'm hitting 25 years talking to a wall. No, you'll have a vibrant interaction with the King of Glory. You'll see miracles on top of miracles. Your prayers will shift from you-centered to him-centered. It'll shift. It'll happen. It'll take some time, I promise you. At first, it's going to be like, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. But the more you commune, the more you sit you hear the Holy Spirit talking, what, what's important to the Father, the more you read the Word of God, you'll start realizing, wait a minute, this is more important to the Father. Most important is that, is that uh, Jesus be lifted up. Most important is that I would, God, I'm crying out for a holy life. I don't know how to be holy. I don't know how to be right. So much stuff out there, so much opinions. God, I don't, I don't have power. I want to walk in power, Lord. Lord, I don't have knowledge. Of what, what, I don't understand. I don't really understand who you are, Jesus. I don't understand the riches that, that await me. I don't, I don't really get it all. Help me. Friend, let that be our what in prayer. And then as that takes center stage, the little what's that are important to our heart, where God says that he'll, he's faithful and just, and that he, that, he, that he cares about what we care about. So it's not that our cares are minimized by him. They're just... They need to be centered around what's important to the Word of God and to God Himself. And as we center all of our little needs under the auspices of what God desires and wants, all those other little things get taken care of. What seems so big to you becomes minimalistic. All of a sudden, I remember praying for a great leader that I loved. I didn't want him to die. They were sick. And God, I, was, I was in the Word of God, and He goes, listen, how blessed how beautiful are the homecoming of the saints? Why would you steal that from them? Because I don't want them to go. He's like, exactly, it's what you want. So I then shifted like I'm supposed to. Lord, what can give you glory in this? And how can I be a part of that? And peace just came. Would you stand with me all across the room? Hope this minister to you today. Come on, somebody. Amen. And I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes right where you stand. I get you to do that so you can concentrate. And could you just take the next 90 seconds or so, and could you just talk to God right where you're at, under your breath, out loud, whatever you're comfortable with, whisper however you feel comfortable. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Lord and ask yourself, help me see the goals properly. Help me pray the right what's. I want a vibrant prayer life with you, Jesus. I want real communing. I want real communing. Straighten my motives out a little bit Jesus help me to enjoy see friend I tell you that 26 miles is a lot easier when you know what the goals are I tell you right now friend when you know the what is important to God we see the New Testament church they figured out the what by way of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years later I think our what becomes a lot more skewed a lot less God-like So let's bring it back to what matters to him. Let our prayer lives be centered around the why and the what of heaven. Father, I ask you now to forgive us. Lord, forgive us. Not a person in this room thinks that they pray too much. Lord, all of us have some kind of guilt based on some teaching or something we've heard back in the day. But Lord, I want you to wash that guilt away as you teach us how to interact with you. 
It's not about an hour or 30 minutes or a scheduled appointment. It's about best friends, me and you, Jesus, interacting. It's about the right questions and the right goals. Your goals becoming my goals. Your what's becoming my what's. And Lord, I ask you to help us. Help me, Lord. Help me to be a man of prayer, a man of communion. Help me to have the why correct and the what correct. Teach us out of your word, Lord, as we grow. And this is just small pieces, Lord. I'm sure there's, there's so much more we're going to grow in. But Lord, let us start at these places and let us grow and mature. Now, as you have your head bowed and your eye closed, would you just commit to be a person of prayer? So, Lord, help me be a person of prayer. Help me interact with you properly. Would you just ask him for help? You stop trying to be mad at stop being mad at yourself because you don't have the willpower to see it all the way through and ask for help. Ask for help. See, you've been in a fog, so you can't see a goal line. You don't see the shore. So prayer is a waste of your life because you don't see the goal. And now that we've seen the biblical goals, I think that can help you. So ask the Lord, say, Lord, help me. I, I want to I, I want to interact with you. Again, this is not about doing, this is about being in a relationship and teaching you some aspects of that relationship in prayer as we see in scriptures a critical component to having a good relationship with the Lord just like talking to your spouse if you don't ever talk to him you're not going to have a good marriage Lord help us we realize that prayer is communing now as you're just having that interaction with the Lord I'd like you to keep your head bowed and your eye closed and I want to appeal to someone else in this room maybe you're in this place today and you're not a Christian in fact you're not sure if you died today if you'd go to heaven Friend, don't leave this place like that. Maybe you grew up in church and you said a little prayer when you were a kid, but the truth of the matter is you and Jesus aren't best friends. You don't, you don't feel the, you feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel like you're a sinner. Friend, we're all sinners, but the difference between me and you is that, is that I'm forgiven of my sins because I've asked and I've surrendered to his lordship. And today I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but life happened. And I walked away. Just stuff happened, man. I'm separated from God. I'm divorced from God, maybe. You'd say it like that. Friend, I got good news. He's not mad. You're here. He's here. This is it. Let's put it together. You say, all right, well, what do I do? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he'll forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he said he'd do. So today I want to give you that opportunity. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God, or you've never been a Christian and you want to become one today, I want to pray with you. I don't have any intentions of embarrassing you, making you a spectacle so everyone can see, yes, they did it. No, this is a deep private decision. And I want you to be able to make that decision right where you stand. And I want you to be able to cry out to God right where you're at. And I want you to do that with all sincerity. So I'm not calling you forward. I'm not going to point you out. But I do want you to acknowledge yourself to the Lord and to me as the pastor. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, If you're not right with God today, you want to get right with the Lord. You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, and you want me to pray with you. No one's looking around. That's you. Would you just lift your hand? Say, that's me, Pastor. Pray with me. I'm ready to be here. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for a move. Okay, amen. Anybody else? Yep, thank you. Anybody else? Make sure I see your hand. Just wave it at me if I don't see it. Nobody else is looking. It's me, you, and heaven. Amen. A couple more seconds. I just don't want to push past you. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just a prayer of connection, prayer of repentance, prayer of making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says he's faithful and just. He's going to forgive you here and now. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray this out loud. 
along with those who lifted their hands. And those who lifted your hand, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Maybe you say, Pastor, I didn't get my hand up, but it's time. I've got to make a change. Then you pray this with all your heart. God will, meet, God will meet you right there. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender. My life, my desires, my wants, I surrender it all. And here and now, I admit I'm a sinner and I need your grace. So, Jesus, I accept that you died on a cross for me. I accept forgiveness for my sins. And here and now, I declare Jesus is my Lord. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for all these men and women who lifted their hand and prayed that prayer maybe for the first time or returning back to you. God, I pray right now, right now, they would sense your forgiveness. That guilt and shame would just, just wither. They'd just like melt away. And that, Lord God, as they walk out of this place today, they can pull their shoulders back a little further, hold their head up. And all that guilt and shame, Lord God, they can recognize that there was nothing they could have done to get rid of it, that you got rid of it in one moment on the cross. And now they've accepted that payment for their sin and they are washed clean. White as snow, as the old song used to say it. And God, in this moment, in this moment, let them feel the joy of being right with you. All the lies, if they've got to perform or they've got to do penance. Lord God, would you just crush that under truth that you paid it all. It's all been paid for. And teach them to receive that grace right now and walk therein. May truth come alive in them. May love for you become the center point of who they are. Lord God, begin to affect every area of their life. The way they think, the way they talk, who they interact with, God, begin to just melt away all the old lies and let truth set them free as they see it and hold on to it. Lord, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, I pray for our congregation. Lord, we can't make it through 2018 doing the same thing we did in 2017. Lord, we want to be people of prayer. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to just stand around, you know, watching people preach about it. We want to engage in, with you, Jesus, in a real relationship. So you, please help us, Lord. Please help us, Lord. Hopefully these teachings got the why right and the goal lines and the what's. But most importantly, Lord God, that we just become best friends and learn to communicate. And so, Lord, we thank you that our church will be a praying church all our days. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.